felt like I was back in the Jesus movement again singing that song right there. Hallelujah. We used, that's the kind of corny songs we used to sing, but I tell you what, it really meant something powerful to us. It really, really did. And I'm excited today to share God's word. You know, the guys that I'm meeting with are young guys. You know, they make they joke, you know, make fun of me, and that's all right to do that. They say every time you teach, you say, boy, this is, a, this is the greatest section in the world. Well, the whole Bible's great. I love the Bible. I really do. And I get excited to share God's word. And you guys know that I do that, and I live for these times. I really, really do. We're going to continue through our series in the parables of Jesus. Uh, how many of you have been here for, for all the parables? How, how many are new this morning? Any new people here? All right, great. Having to have you guys here. We're going to continue through. I looked on the green sheet, and this is the 12th uh, parable that we're looking at, and I get to teach on that. Matthew 1335, which is kind of like our memory verse, which is our key verse, it says this, and Jesus said these words, I will speak to you in parables, I will explain things hidden since the creation of the world. The truths that are taught in these stories, in the parables, and also in the scriptures, they can change our life. They truly can. Why? Peter recognized something when he hung around Jesus Christ one time. He said, Lord, where are we supposed to go? You got the words of eternal life. You got the words of life. These scriptures have changed my life from that knucklehead surfer that I was. I'm still a surfer. Thank God for that. But hopefully I'm not that much of a knucklehead. Right, honey? <laughs> At times I am. But the Bible is the words of life. That's what they are. God is always trying to mold us into his image. I've known the Lord, walked with the Lord for decades now. And he's still trying to mold me. And he uses his Bible. He uses the word of God to chisel his character in us. He's the great sculptor. He is the potter and we are the clay. And he wants to mold us into something that looks like him. And for some of us, like myself, it takes a lot of work. It really does. Take a lot of work and it takes a lot of time. Today we look at the parable, the cost of being disciple, and and I love discipleship. I love meeting with people and, and trying to help them grow in their relationship with Christ. But today we look at the cost of being disciple. In Luke chapter 14, if you got your Bibles, that's where we're gonna go to. Thousands of people heard this parable that Jesus is speaking, and I'm gonna read through it in just a minute here. Jesus was challenging them to be more than just listeners. They had been following him for years and years and years. But he's challenging them to be more than listeners. He was challenging them to be disciples. To be disciples. True disciples. See, I really believe that you can believe in Jesus but not really be a disciple. I believed in him since I was a young little kid. I believed he was the son of God but it didn't really mean anything to me. I knew him. The Bible even says that the demons in hell know who Jesus Christ is. You know, just acknowledging him isn't enough. It truly isn't. A disciple is one who's a lifelong learner. He's a pupil of the one to whom he follows. To whom you follow. This section we look at today describes what a true disciple looks like, what he looks like or she looks like, the conditions or the realities of answering the call, and we're going to hear the call this morning to be a disciple, 
And then we're going to end up with looking at the benefits that we have as being disciples of Christ. And yeah, there's some stuff we get. I love that. We give our life to Christ, but yet he gives us some things. Let's stand up as we honor God's word. That's what we do here at Journey. And I love it. They did. It was an Old Testament thing that they did one time. The, the, the people, God's people hadn't heard God's word for a long time. And they just, they had them stand up and they just read God's word to impact their lives. This is what he says here. Verse 25 of chapter 14. We probably should have it up there. Just think about this. Think about, picture it in your mind. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciples, and he'll use that three times. You must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and your mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be, there it is again, my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see it if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Verse 31. Or what king would go out to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. And here's the big one. So you cannot become my disciples without giving up everything you own. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you how it changes our life, Lord. I pray that this morning as I speak that you would give understanding, Lord. Thank you so much that your spirit brings understanding to us. I pray that it would fall upon hearts this morning that are hungry for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you all sit down. That call is an invitation. That's what it is. As Pastor Jeff said today, I answered that call. I don't even want to give you the dates because then you know how that I'm an old guy. But that invitation was given to a large gathering of people. They think possibly, guys, that there might have been 5,000, 10,000, maybe up to 15,000 people who were following Jesus just to hear his words, those words of life. But you see, sometimes in the scriptures that those invitations are very personal, very personal. I, he I heeded the call in my life. It was very personal. He just spoke to me and said, you need to follow. He did that to his disciples. He did that to remember that guy, Zacchaeus, that crawled up in the tree trying to get a picture of Jesus because he was such a small little guy. I was going to say, dude, that's Hereford talk. But he was a small little guy. And Jesus gave him like a personal invitation. Sometimes it's, it, it, it's to the masses. Sometimes it's, it's very personal. But this call that we looked at here was very direct it was very clear. It was very straightforward. And that's how Jesus does things. He doesn't beat around the bush. He just gets right to the point. 
I don't like people that come to me and all of a sudden they're just talking and saying this and they want something. You know they want something from you. I just say, just tell me what you want. Don't beat around the bush. But it was direct. He says, if you want to be my disciples. It's not hard to understand. It's a very clear invitation that he's giving to these people. But accepting that call, accepting that invitation, it affects everything in your life. Everything. Everything. Everything in your life. It can affect your vocation. It can affect your family life. It can affect your lifestyle. It can, and it's supposedly and supposed to affect our thinking. You think of the disciples that he had. He had a tax gatherer. He had fishermen. Their lives were changed. Their vocations were changed because they went to follow Jesus. There's these two brothers, James and John. You know what they were called? The sons of thunder. I bet you probably wouldn't want to mess around with those guys. They were tough. They were zealous. You know what they wanted to do? They wanted to throw, overthrow the Roman Empire is what they wanted to do. And they, they, they kind of believed that Jesus was going to do that for them. Their agenda had to get changed because they accepted the call. And see, that call that he gave to them, just like he gives to us today, it's the most important thing that you can do in your life. Most important thing. You know, marrying my wife was a very important thing in my life. It truly was. It was a good thing. But accepting Jesus, and my wife knows this, it was more important. And it was more precious to me than even that day that I said to her, I will. Some of you, that might, you're like going, wow. That's what it's supposed to be. And it's a choice. It's a choice that each and every one of us have to make. It's your choice. Jesus never forces you into accepting him and following him. He doesn't do that. I believe from time to time as believers, and it's happened in my life, and I'm thinking maybe this morning it might happen with some others of you today. We need to reaffirm that commitment to that invitation that we accepted maybe so many years ago. Let's look at the conditions. And I'm going to tell you something. When you, you, know, when you read this, these are extreme conditions to follow Christ. There's one portion, I think it's in John chapter 6, where it said that all of a sudden some of the disciples that were following him, it just got too tough, and they took off, they left. This is pretty extreme. He didn't want just people coming, just listening, and, and, and experiencing the, you know, the words that he was saying. He wanted more of that. You see, the conditions, the reality of the call is, verse 26, it says, basically, Jesus got to be number one. That's it. It's total. It's complete. That commitment of loyalty to Jesus is greater than any other commitment that you have in your life. Any other commitment. Your love is to be higher than you have for your immediate family. You know, my daughter's here today. My wife is here. My love for Jesus is to be higher than that. My dad didn't like that. My dad never did give his life to Christ. He passed away a few years ago. I don't know. I'm hoping that he gave his life to him before he died. But that bothered him that I had that kind of a commitment. And he knew I had that kind of commitment with him, with Jesus Christ. He knew that he meant he was number one in my life. And did you notice that he says you must hate 
everyone else. And those are harsh words, aren't they? I remember as a new believer reading, I went, oh my gosh, Jesus is telling us to hate people? Well, that's not what he's doing there, really. It, it, it's what's called a, a comparative. And literally what it means, it means you need to love less. You need to love less than them. Again, that he is to be supreme and there's to be secondary when it comes to that kind of relationship. Because we're called to love our enemies, aren't we? You know that we are. We're called to love even bad neighbors. And a few of us have those. You guys know I've got one. <laughs> Especially you guys on Wednesday night. Still dealing with that guy. Still trying to love him. Galatians 5.14 says this. For the whole law can be summed up in one commandment. One commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then I love Matthew's kind of, you know, way that he wrote down the words of Jesus. He says this in 1037. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you are not, what? Worthy. You're not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or your daughter more than me, you are not worthy to be mine. Not worthy. Jesus, he knows our heart. He knows your relationship with him greater than I know it. And he knows where it stands in comparison to, you know, even your family. You see, nothing is to come between you, you, and Jesus. Nothing. Even a good thing like a family, and families are wonderful gifts. True disciples live by his rules. That's what they do. They live by his ways. When my kids were growing up, they lived by dad's rules. That's how it was, and they knew that. They had their own ways, but they had to live by dad's rules. I got a little three-and-a-half-year-old grandkid, I'm telling you, that little guy's already got his own ways. And when he comes to grandpa's house, he's trying to push it a little bit. He's going to live by grandpa's rules. See, true disciples live by his rules, his ways. Not their own ways. What Jesus is doing is trying to make it really hard to be his disciple. It's not an easy thing, and it's not supposed to be an easy thing. And unfortunately, sometimes I think what the church at large does is we try and make it very easy to follow Jesus. It's not. It'll cost you everything you got. It really will. If you're truly, truly following him with your whole heart. There's people attending uh, churches all throughout America today, and I'm telling you what, they probably believe Jesus, but they're really probably not following for him. Because I'm telling you, there's a difference between believing and really living and following Jesus as Lord. It truly is. I can acknowledge somebody without really, you know what I mean, following them. And that's what the demons in hell do. They know who Jesus is. Your relationship with him can't be half-hearted. It can't be, you know, one foot in the boat, one foot in the dock. I, I think we even got a picture up there. That's all I could find, man. I, mean, my, I think my grandkid drew that picture. But you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's like in poker. You're all in. You're all in with Jesus. It, it can't be that. That's trouble right there. And if some of you today are, are living your life that way, that's shaky. That's very, very, very shaky. 
So Jesus got to be number one. Number two, there's self-denial. There's denying self. There's picking up your cross and, and following Jesus. And I, I think we've got a slide on that. You know, we in the 21st century, we don't even understand what that means. But when Jesus said, look it, you're going to have to pick your cross up. He doesn't say pick my cross up. He says, you pick your cross up and follow me. They knew exactly what he was talking about. Because that right there, that meant that you had a death sentence ahead of you. When you carried that cross, you were really walking down death row. Just like these guys do that are on death row and they wait, they walk down that thing, they strap them in, they do whatever they do. That meant that your life had been taken away from you and that you were willing, not really willing, but that you were going to die. So what Jesus is trying to say there is that we've got to be willing to give it all, even give our own life before him. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 in the Amplified Version. I like looking at different versions when I'm studying the scriptures. Listen to this. Then Jesus said to disciples, if anyone desires to be my disciple, let him deny himself. Then it says, disregard, lose sight of, and forget himself and his own interests. Did you get that? Take up his cross and follow me. Cleave steadfastly to me. Conform wholly to my example. And if need be, in dying also. In dying. We live in America. You're not going to die for Jesus. People in China, people in some of the other nations that are in the world, you know that, guys. They're killing Christians because they will not deny Jesus. They've picked up that cross and they're following him and they're not going to turn their back on him even if it costs them their own life. Part of that denial of self means that there's going to be spiritual warfare that you and I have to go through as Christians. We're going to have to do some battling from time to time. And for you that have been Christians for a while, you know that. Sometimes it's long. Sometimes it is hard. We've got to battle this old flesh, our old desires, our our pleasures, our, our lustfulness, and the devil himself. And even our own self. Listen to what Galatians 5.24 says. It says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and the desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. The section previous to that is talking about all these deeds in the flesh that we're supposed to nail to the cross and leave up there. problem is from time to time, we kind of like bring those things down again. They are nailed to the cross. And listen, I'm not perfect. Not at all. I tell my kids, I said, look, when you bury me, I said, don't you dare tell the people I was perfect because I was far from it. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I still got my faults. After following Jesus for as long as I have, I still got them and I hate it. I hate it. I hate that I, I still have that stuff inside me. That old flesh. Listen, the Olympic athletes, you know, you guys been following the Olympics? It's been awesome. It's been great. I love it when it when it when it comes around, you know, every four years. They have a mindset of self-denial, don't they? They really do. I mean, some of those people they train and train and train for four years, for eight years. Michael Phelps, that guy's a machine, is what he is. But you could you have to deny self. 
is what you have to do. They've got that mindset. Paul the Apostle, writing throughout the scriptures and some of the books that he wrote to the different churches that were there. Listen, they had the Olympics going on back then. It wasn't on Channel 4, but they had the Olympics going on. That's why he uses that illustration so many times. He, he told the Corinthians in, and in Hebrews, it, it tells them that, you know what, we are in a race and we got to run to win. I, I read something somewhere where this, this guy, I guess, his wife confronted him because he wasn't going to run this race. And he says, well, I'm not going to run if I can't win. And she goes, well, you're not going to win if you're sitting in the seat. As Christians, we're running a race. That takes self-denial on our part. Third, suffering is going to be part of being a true disciple of Christ. Suffering. We don't like those kind of words. I don't like those kind of words. You know, I thought when I came to Jesus, everything would be taken care of, and I'd never have any problems again ever in my life. Wouldn't it be great if we received Christ, and that's how it was? We'd never have problems again? Man, everybody would receive Jesus. But you can't promise that to people. You really can't. First Peter Chapter 4 in <clears throat> the New American Standard Bible says this, Therefore, let those also who suffer according to the will of God, notice that, suffer according to the will of God, entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Hardship, persecution, suffering, that's all a part of God's will. I don't like reading those kind of words. I don't even like teaching those kind of things. But that's part of being a true disciple. We're going to experience those kind of things. It's not problem-free. I wish it was. I really, I really do. It'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? It'd be wonderful we'd never have any more problems again in our life. That will happen when we get to heaven. That's what I keep telling my wife. I go, I'm going to love heaven. I don't have to pay the bills anymore. I hate paying bills. Problem-free, it's not. 2 Timothy 2.3 in the Phillips translation says this. Put up with your share of hardship. As a loyal soldier in Christ's army, you, if you're a believer in Christ, if you are a true disciple of Christ, you're part of his army. You're going to have to put up with that stuff. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this. Persecution is what? It's inevitable. It's inevitable for those who are determined to live really Christian lives. Listen, if we're determined to live as Christians, you're going to suffer. You know, during that old Jesus movement that we had, and I was talking to Teresa. She remembered, you know, those days and stuff. I tell you what, we got persecuted for being Christians. We really did. They would mock us. I mean, we'd go down there and, and, and we'd come down in vans. You know, all of our surfer buddies were partying down in this big parking lot in Santa Monica. Boy, we'd just come out and we'd, we'd attack them with the scriptures. But boy, they used to just mock us and heckle us and, and everything. But you know what we went? That's good. We must be doing something right. We're suffering for Jesus. We loved it. But from time to time, we're going to have waves of suffering. We're going to have seasons of suffering. That's what Christians experience. That's what disciples experience. You know, I'm a surfer, just like Jeff said, and, and we've got some surfers in our church here. And, and when it gets big, you got to be careful for those big sneaker sets, man. Those waves that just come in out of nowhere. Especially when you're talking it's eight, ten foot faces and maybe double overhead when it comes in. You've got to watch out for those things. 
And we get those from time to time. And some of those waves that we experience, sometimes it's just the mistakes that we've done. So all of a sudden we get hit by this wave of suffering. Sometimes it's just, it just happens. And we have those seasons that we have in our life as disciples. And they might be long periods. It might be a, a, you know, a, a sickness or an illness. You know, I, I had a bad hip. Thank God, November 3rd, it'll be three years since I got it in. That was tough on me. That was really tough. Financially, you've gotten problems or maybe family problems, you know, and it's a season. It's a long time. And, and, and kind of what you're saying, you're crying out to God and just saying, God, how long is this thing going to last? Part of that suffering. Part of being an, a soldier in the army of God. We experience suffering. Suffering's good. We can do a whole teaching on suffering. It's good for us. We don't like it, but it's good. It, it helps us to grow in Christ. God uses that to, to sculpt us and to mold us into his image. Acts chapter 9, God told Paul that he was going to suffer much. And I think about that. I go, I wonder why God had him suffer so much. Maybe it's because he made his church suffer so much before he gave his life to Christ. I don't know. But it happens. Disciples lost their lives. We can go on and on and on. Joseph, a man of God, thrown in prison. For years and years and years and years, the Old Testament saints do that. Well, we got to get going. Number four, need to understand the cost. Calculate it. Be aware of the cost that you're doing. The two parables that we saw here, the one of the king and the other of the person constructing the building, both of them, Jesus was trying to point out, you better count the cost. That's what you have to do. You got to count the cost. Well, right after we were married, a couple years down the road, we bought our first place, and it was a it was a duplex, and it was dinky. It was a little nine hundred square foot thing, and it was a duplex though. So we got a little income in the front. So we had nine hundred in the back, and about six hundred in the front. I wanted to add on. We needed to. I had a little kid running around, you know, a little son, and we had one in the oven. So we needed to add on. And I was in construction. I was a carpenter. I knew what I was going to do. And I, I decided, okay, I'm going to add on to this place. You know what I did? I calculated the cost. Because the back unit where we were in, we had two bedrooms. And the front uh, unit had one bedroom. I wanted to add on to both of them because I knew I could generate more income for us. But after I calculated the cost, and we had only $18,000 sitting in the bank that we had saved up from me doing extra side work and stuff. The, house, the place only cost us $95,000. That's incredible, back in the mid-70s. But after I calculated the cost, I went, you know what? I can't add on to the front, but I could add on my three bedrooms and my, my bathroom to the upstairs. Now, I would have been a fool if I wouldn't have calculated the cost, and all of a sudden I would have framed it all up, and I wouldn't have enough money to complete it all, wouldn't I? I wouldn't. We have to count the cost. Jesus wants those that heed this invitation to be his disciples to know the realities of following after him. Five, you need to give up everything. Everything you own. That's verse 33. That's extreme. That's extreme. In the previous section here, there's a banquet going on, and Jesus uses a whole illustration again of a parable, and he tries to... Uh, you know, he says there's an invitation that's given, and all these people make excuses, and they don't want to come. Well, this is an invitation that, that he's asking, you know, these followers to do. 
They gave excuses. People give excuses not to follow Jesus. I gave excuses for years and years and years not to follow him. And usually what it is, it's people, things, or self. That's what it is. They said, look, I bought a bunch of oxen. I got to take care of those guys. Oh, I, got, I bought a field I never looked at before. That seems kind of stupid, but they bought a field without ever looking at it. He said, I got to go take care of that. And, and then somebody says, look, my wife won't let me go. That's an interesting one, isn't it? <laughs> my wife won't let me go. I know, you guys, you, I know you guys use that rule. I use that sometimes from time to time. Or that excuse. But it's a big condition to follow Jesus. It truly is. The rich young ruler, he gave up, didn't he? Because you know what Jesus did? He said, sell everything you got and you can come follow me. He wasn't willing to do it. And it said that he walked away and he was bummed out. He truly was. He really lost out. Is it literal that you've got to give up all your possessions from time to time? Sometimes. Not most of the time. God called us to come up here in 1985 to Ventura to pastor a church. We gave all that stuff up. Yes, we got a new house up here. We got all of that, but we left friends. We left all of that. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes God calls people to other places and other lands from time to time. That's not the norm, though. It really isn't. You know, we've been going through this whole section. And we've been talking a lot about different parables here and different parables there. Remember the one about the sheep and the goats? Remember that? We talked about the one about the wheat and the tares, or as Pastor Jeff said, the weed, the weeds that are out there. It's talking about separation. That even in churches from time to time, there's people sitting in the chairs. And they look like wheat. They look like disciples, but they really aren't. But there'll be that time where there's that, that, that separation. That, that's what Jesus is trying to do with this crowd. As he gives the invitation to them, he's wanting them to become wheat is what he wants. He says, I don't want you just being weeds. I want you being wheat. I don't want you being goats. I want you being my sheep. You see, it's a choice. When we came up here, almost 31 years ago. God didn't force me. He didn't force me to do that. It was my choice. It was our choice that we made. It was hard. I'm not saying it wasn't hard. It was very hard on my wife. Very, very hard. And when I set my mind to things, man, I just go. Was it worth it? You better believe it was worth it. Totally. Would we do it again? Of course we would. And I know that going to church makes people feel good. It really does. Doesn't it? Even before you knew Jesus, if you walked into a church, you might have gone to church for a year or two years or whatever. It makes you feel good. touches your emotions. You get encouraged by the word and by the worship. You get encouraged just being in a place like this. You know why? Because the spirit of God's in this place. And what you do is, is you're just touching Jesus a little bit. Just a little bit. Just like those listeners that were following him, it made them feel good. That's why they followed him. That's why they followed him. But there's more than just being listeners. We're to make disciples. That's the church's mission, is to do that. So Jesus was challenging them to make a life-changing decision. And there might be some of you here today that never made that decision. 
And today's the day for you to make that life-changing decision for Christ. But with that decision, you know what you get? You get benefits. We get benefits. Don't you love that? I love it. My wife works for Starbucks. We get medical benefits. Seems like every year it gets less and less and less, but we get benefits. I like that. I like getting things, even though we're paying for it. But we have common benefits if we're disciples of Christ. We really do. And only true disciples enjoy and experience those things. And the Bible tells us what they are. And I've got, I think I've got seven of them here that we're going to look at. Yeah, we've got seven of them that we're going to look at. Number one, you get provision. You give your life to Christ, you're going to get provision. Our Heavenly Father guarantees that all your needs will be met. All your needs. And all means all. All of your needs. Not all your wants. You know, you don't get that new Mercedes and all that every other year or whatever it is. But you get all your needs met. I love that. Philippians 4.19 says this, And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I remember reading that as a young believer. I went, man, that is good. God's going to take care of me. I'm never going to have to worry about anything anymore. He's going to just give me what I need. And I'm telling you, guys, I don't worry about that. I've been in construction for over 40 years. And even to this day, my son says, Dad, I, and now he's a contractor too, just like his dad. And he goes, Dad, I, I just can't believe how you just don't worry about any of that. I said, why should I? The Bible says God's going to take care of me. He's going to take care of me. That's just how it is. He's done it for decades and decades. He's going to keep doing it because the Bible says that's what he's going to do. And I love this one. And I try and do this in Matthew 6. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. That's a conditional promise, though. You notice that one? We kind of don't like those ones as well. Well, we got to do something to get something. So you got provision. Then you got protection. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 says this, But the Lord is faithful. Our God is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. And then Psalm 121, 7 and 8 says this, The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and as you go, both now, and I love it, forever. My son, he was a knucklehead when he was younger. <laughs> He's not here today. But he would do some crazy things sometimes. One time, him and his buddies, and he was a surfer too. Him and his buddies, I think, were they in high school? I think they were in high school at this time. And they loaded up this little pickup truck that he had. And this pickup truck, we called it the Silver Bullet. And he loaded it up with everything. I mean, it was just packed up. I, I don't even know where I was at and stuff. But he took off, and they went, like, late in the afternoon and everything. And uh, I think it might have been even starting to get dark. I think it was probably starting to get dark. And they're zooming. And how many of you have ever been to Halama Beach? Uh, not too many. A few of you. Beautiful place. But don't go there. No, I'm not going there. Beautiful. And the winding road that goes on there, well... He's a 16-year-old kid. You know what he's doing? Driving too fast. And I told him, I said, you were probably driving too fast. And he goes, no, Dad, I wasn't. Well, he was. All of a sudden, he hit this one thing, jumped on up, and they went like this. And there's cliffs because there's a little creek that runs down there. He got out of control, and all of a sudden, they stopped. 
and his truck was hanging over like this. And he said that him and his three friends were looking down and they could see a cow down in the creek. And they're just in that, petrified and saying, don't move. And slowly but surely, every one of them got out of his truck. And then they called me. And I think I drove all the way up there until I think I got up there at 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night. But God saved him. An interesting thing about this story is that a real good friend of ours, Grace, I think it was the night before, God woke her up in the middle of the night and she started praying for our son. And she, pardon? Yeah. Um, she started praying for our son and didn't know re the reason why. And later on, we told her this story. An interesting thing, like my daughter just pointed out, that after they got out of the truck, it fell down the ravine. So when I look at protection to a disciple, and he was a disciple of Christ, it's there and it's real, guys. David escaped King Saul, trying to kill him over and over again. Paul was rescued and escaped. Number three, position. We've got to get this closing up here. Position that we have being disciples of Christ. We are his people. We are his children. You know, we sing that one song, I am a child of God. I love that song. I'm a child of God. We're part of the family of God when you make that commitment to him. Romans 8, 14 says this. For all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when you, he adopted you as his children. Now we call him Abba Father. That's like calling him Daddy. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. There's that suffering again. And he says this in verse 18. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory we will, he will reveal to us later. Number four, privileges. I'm not part of some country club. I don't never had enough money to get in a country club. But I know that I've had friends of mine who have been part of country clubs, wherever they might be. You get, you, you get certain privileges. Well, we have those as Christians. We really do. You know what we have? We have access to the throne of God. We have our prayers answered. We have the promises of God that are made available to us. And the greatest thing we have is we'll have eternal life with Jesus forever and ever. Hebrews 4.16 says this, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it. That was one of my memory verses. And then John 5, 14 through 14, it says this. And this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked him. I'm going to have the worship team come back up because we're getting ready to close this thing up. We're going to look at 5, 6, and 7. Number five, we have power. We have power and authority. Jesus gave the disciples, and I don't think Christians realize this. Jesus gave the disciples the keys of the kingdom. Keys of the kingdom. You know, keys. I got my key right here. I got a tundra out there. You guys don't get to go in it. I do, because I got the keys. He's let you do certain things. 
That's what keys do. And he gave the keys of the kingdom to his disciples because he knew that they would face spiritual warfare in their life. And they would have to battle for the souls of their friends and their relatives and other people. Matthew 18 says this, I tell you the truth. Whatever you forbid or bind or lock on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit or loose or open on earth will be permitted in heaven. I also tell you this. If two or three agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three are gathered together as my followers, I am there among them. And then John 14 says this. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. Jesus did some powerful things. So did his disciples. They prayed for the sick and they were healed. Jesus even raised people from the dead. And listen, there there are stories of people not, you know, where people are sophisticated like us, but in countries and nations where they're not so sophisticated, people have prayed for the dead and they've been raised from the dead. You might go, oh, that can't happen, Randy. Well, it does happen. That kind of stuff happens. That's the kind of power that he's given to us as, as, as being his followers. Then we have profound direction. And I love that. You know, we don't, we don't have to wander around in the dark, you know, like, you ever been in a dark place and you just, you just stumble around, you smack yourself in the head, hitting stuff? We don't have to be like that. Disciples have profound direction. We're spirit-led. We're spirit-led. The word, the Bible says, is a lamp unto our feet. It's like, it's like having the light. You know, we all have like iPhones and all that. Now you put the light on when it gets really dark. You got the flashlights going. That's what the word is. You don't need to stumble around in the darkness. It helps you know where you're supposed to go. And if you're in the wrong place, it'll tell you you're in the wrong place. It's better than the navigation systems we got in our cars. You know, it's better than Google. It's better than any of those guys because they mess you up from time to time. God's word doesn't do that. It doesn't mess you up. It's always right. You know what I'm saying? It's not taking you down the wrong road. It's always right. It's going to get you to your destination. It's what it's going to get you to. Psalm 31 says this, For thou art my rock and my fortress. For thy name's sake thou wilt lead me and guide me. Psalm 48, 14 says this, For such is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us until death. My God's going to guide me till I die. And then the last one, which is wonderful, is the peace of God. The peace of God. Now, this world desperately wants peace. It really does. We, we live in such a chaotic world nowadays. It's scary out there. It really is. And so many times, just like that one song we were talking about, you know, we've got the storms of life that we face from time to time, and, and we need that peace, that, that peace that passes all understanding, that peace that stabilizes us in the storms of life. Prayer is the key to that. And this is what it says in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. It says, don't worry about anything. Anything, anything means anything. Instead, pray about everything. 
Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you will experience God's peace. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your heart and your mind. Let's talk about it's going to guard your emotions and it's going to guard your thoughts. That's what God's peace does as you live in Christ Jesus. Those are the benefits, guys, that we have in Christ Jesus. And you get those benefits when the conditions are met. And we talked about those conditions. Jesus got to be first. Got to deny himself. You're going to experience suffering from time to time. You got to count the cost. You got to be willing to give up everything that you got. You know, there's some of you today here that you need to make a commitment to Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, I want every eye to be closed right now. And I want you to bow your head. Doing things a little bit different usually do from time to time, but I felt like that's what I needed to do. I ran by Pastor Jeff. Keep your eyes closed. There's some of you that need to receive Christ today. You need to answer that call to be his disciple. And we don't usually do this, but I felt like I needed to do this. If you want to answer that call today, what I want you to do, I want you to lift your hands. No one can see it, because I want to pray for you. Everybody lift your hands up. All right. There's hands being lifted up. Going to answer that call. And for some of you, you're going to need to reaffirm your walk with Christ today. You can lift your hand up too. And you'll go, good, there's others that need to do that. I'm not Jesus. I'm just his messenger this morning. And Jesus wants to give you life today. He wants to make you his true disciple. And I'm going to say a prayer, and I want you to repeat that in your heart really mean it and that's when life starts happening again life starts changing father god i just want to lift up these that have their hand up those that are saying i want to follow you jesus i don't want to just be a listener i really want to be a follower of your of you i pray for them today and i i ask them to say this prayer that's in their heart if they want to speak it out a little bit that's fine too lord jesus I want to be your true disciple. I want to follow hard after you. I want to forsake all for you, Lord, because I see that it's well worth it to do that. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for raising from the dead for me. Thank you for living for me. I receive you now as my Lord and as my Savior. I pray for others that are in this place this morning. For my brothers and sisters that already know you, that some are just saying, God, I just want to reaffirm that I'm your disciple this morning. I will follow you, Lord. There's things maybe that I've been putting in front of you, and, and I just, Lord, I want to quit doing that. I want to follow you. You want to be number one in my life, Lord, even above my family. I pray for them that they would do that, Lord. Thank you so much, Jesus, for dying for us. Thank you for calling me, Lord, back in the early 70s. You've changed my life, Lord. My family is what they are today because of the life that you've given me. Help us to walk day by day, step by step with you, Lord God. We love you, Jesus, with all of our heart. 
in your church service. Amen. Amen. Let's worship the Lord.